So we're doing a series here on Friday nights, um, this half of the semester, on the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'm going to talk today about um, spiritual gifts, uh, primarily 1 Corinthians 12. So let me read, I'm going to read two different portions of 1 Corinthians 12, and then uh, a few verses from, from Paul's letter to the Romans. This is 1 Corinthians 12, reading from verse 4 to verse 11, and then it'll be, I'll jump to verse 27 to the end of the chapter. You can follow along with me. Hear God's word. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let me jump over to Romans 12. There's a similar passage on the gifts of the Spirit. Reading from verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, I, ju I jumped over there to Romans, I jumped around to give you a sense, you get these different lists of gifts of the Spirit. So this fundamental claim that there are gifts of the Spirit, and then these different things. That's what I want, part of what I want you to draw on is note, noting the different kinds of things that I mentioned. But I want to say three things, I'm going to focus especially on this, on 1 Corinthians 12, and I want to say three things. First, there's one Spirit, second, many gifts, and third, a more excellent way. First, one spirit, second, many gifts, and third, a more excellent way. So first, one spirit. There's one spirit. Well, when reading this, the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, you know, at first, it, I was thinking about Princeton, so you go back to 1 Corinthians 12, verses, verse 5, it says, verses 4, 5, and 6, it says, there are varieties of gifts, and then varieties of service, and six varieties of activities. We talk about activities for a moment in the Princeton context. When I was a freshman in uh, the fall of 1997, uh, I was out at the activities fair. I went to the activities fair. Who loved the activities fair? Right? Who was horrified by the activities fair? <laughs> no. But anyway, the activities fair was a less scary experience when I was a student. It was just up here in the chapel courtyard. All the activities in Princeton fit on each with their own full-size table, like around the chapel courtyard. One circle. Of all the activities in Princeton. You know, and then like some years later, you know, I don't know, I was for PCF, I was manual activities, but they had to move it. You know, 
students, Princeton students kept multiplying activities as well, leaders, right? And so, um, the problem with all being leaders is you have no followers, and so you got to expect the number of leadership opportunities of not the number of students. So they had to move into Bill and Jim, and then they expanded from there. I mean, you know how it is if you've been there now. It's like they're going to have to move into the football stadium at some point. You go up and down the, the steps of the stadium, there'll be so many activities. Each, each student will have like three or four activities that President and I were co-founder. Um, <laughs> So we resonate, right? We resonate with words like gifts and service and activities, right? I don't know. I mean, I know it's kind of passe, but like many and many of you, I'm sure, went to gifted program. How many went to gifted programs? Use that term. <clears throat> My high school, they called it learning enrichment, right? Because gifted is prejudicial. In many ways, it is prejudicial. Because, of course, when we think of gifts, we have preconceived notions when we come to this about gifts, and service and activities. When we think about gifts, we usually think about like stuff we have, or like our special skills, the skills that Princeton valued us for, our parents or our peers, and maybe your athletic skill, your academic skill particularly, um, <coughs> excuse me, your singing skill. This is what we talk about when we, we talk about gifts. But here, what, what the apostle is teaching us is that all these gifts are first a gift they're received from who? From one spirit, one Lord, one God, right? The same God, the same Lord, the same spirit. That's the language he uses, nice Trinitarian language. First, we've received all these things. So what we have, we've received. And second, we have a, there's a purpose for us in using that. And this is part of the Princeton. I mean, I love it, Princeton. The array of talents you find here is amazing. And I'm, I'm so thankful, actually, for that the subjective nature of admissions, because, you know, they're trying to craft this perfect, idealized class of students. And so you find people with just, you know, I mean, a number of my friends who, like, written books, why don't you just publish this graphic novel? You know, I, I can walk into bookstores, I can open the newspaper, I can watch television uh, or the internet, and it's just people I know doing amazing things, right? This is the Princeton way. I mean, I'm glad it's subjective, at least they let me in. If I, I hadn't been let in, I would probably be more upset with it. <laughs> Princeton has all this, all this amazing talent pulled together, and we have all this training and equipping and a call to leadership in an angular sense. But the questions that often go unanswered are, where does it come from and where is it going to? And this is where, as, as Christians, if you're a follower of Christ, there's a very clear claim, which is that what we have is a gift from God. We received it. We received it for a purpose. To be used for the common good, that phrase is there in verse 7, as a body together. You see this language when it talks about gifts, like there in verse 27, now you're the body of Christ, there's individually members of it. We have a purpose, and that purpose is to bring God glory. Right? We have received so much, and we're not to sit on it, we're to use it. We've received it full from the same source, and for, for a shared common purpose. So there's, there's one spirit. Second, I want to talk about many gifts, right? Verse 7, each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. There are many gifts offered to us, many gifts. Now, in a moment, I want to talk about uh, what, what we've been given. Ask you the question, you can start thinking about this now. What have you been given? What are the gifts that you possess? <coughs> Excuse me. And second, what are you called to? So first... What have you been given? And second, what are you being called to? 
what are the gifts you're being called to find, develop, and use. But for, before I do that, I want to do an aside. Because we see in this passage, Paul talks about, he talks about all sorts of kinds of gifts. My favorite, actually, is the gift of administration. No one prays for the gift of administration. But the church is in desperate, the world is in desperate need of administrators. Um, you know, leadership, that's one we love at Princeton. That's, that shows up in the list in Romans. Service, mercy, exhortation. Uh, but I want to do an aside and talk about a, a big picture theological thing, because some of the gifts described here, there are ones we recognize like teachers. There are others that are like miraculous works of the Spirit, healing, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And that's part of what Paul is talking about here. His fundamental point relative to them is these are good, but not everyone has them. And fundamentally, <coughs> excuse me, fundamentally we are called to a more excellent way. I'll get to that at the end. But I do want to talk about that. You may not have no experience with, with that or exposure to that. Uh, debate that exists within the church, like is prophecy ongoing? Speaking in tongues is that ongoing? That may be total news to you. Or you may be deeply involved in that. You may believe God speaks prophetically through you or through others. Or alternatively, that you speak you speak in tongues. I first discovered that in person in Princeton, praying with a friend, we got together to pray before Friday night. Friday nights down in Butler, the old Butler, they bulldozed. And so we were up there in 1941 Hall, and he was, we were praying together, and he just started, like, saying things, like, nonsense syllables. And we had this experience. And so he's just doing this, like, rapid fire. And I'm like, I, like, I think I opened my eyes, and I looked at him a little bit. And then it registered with me, oh, he's praying in tongues. I've read about this. I've heard about this. <laughs> um, I know what this is. And, um, and so he would, he would pray in tongues. He was going to Theologically, he was the term charismatic. It's not about he was handsome. That's a theological description. But so he did, he prayed in tongues. The key point, I think, for that, because that's its whole own discussion, and if you want to talk to any of us on staff about that, please come up to me, come up to Bunga. <coughs> Excuse me. And we will, we're happy to discuss that at length. I think the key issue there, the key issue that Paul, the point that he is making, is that we've been given many gifts. So part of the challenge he dealt with in his church is people want the cool gifts. Right? There are many gifts, and everyone wants the nicest, flashiest ones. And his point is the body is made up individually of many members, and there are many gifts, and we are called to use them together. And sure, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And we have that debate in the church. Is prophecy ongoing? And there's always that call to exercise discernment and to test those kinds of um, more dramatic spiritual gifts. But Paul's point to us is that there are many gifts. We don't want to get hung up on just focusing on the ones that are most cool. Whatever that might be for you. The ones that you most desire. So let me turn that. We'll leave aside that discussion. We do follow up. And let me turn to, to the questions I asked about gifts. First, what gifts do you have? You say, take a moment to think about it. How has God gifted you? What comes to mind? I mean, there, are, there are many things, you know, you might say in a room of Princetonians, like, I don't know, good at math. <laughs> some of you, right? I mean, a lot of you know, but some of you. <laughs> tall. 
able to run fast. But I, there are a million things, like dress as well, quality shoes. <laughs> there are many gifts. Let's take a moment and look at the text. What are the gifts God focuses on and talks about in our lives? Because it's not about a lot of these more prosaic, normal things, which may indeed be blessings and may be, indeed be gifts from God. What is God focused on more? He's focused on more the things you can't learn in class, for the most part. But things like exhortation, things like service, things like encouragement, loving one another, the spiritual functions that we do together in community with both college and Christ. These are the gifts that are being talked about. And I remember, like, think about spiritual gifts, because when I was younger, they would do these, like, in, in, in church, like, uh, tests, what are your spiritual gifts? They would post that question. What are your spiritual gifts? And I would be like, I got none of this. I remember thinking about it, my dad's a preacher, and I remember being like, I so do not want his job. Um, you want to know what, like, this was in my image, still, to this day, the indelible image of my father's job is like him on the phone, listening, not talking, listening, like, 45 minutes every night, it's this, this, it's this other pastor, of all the times when I did it, it was this other pastor who was in crisis, who was far away, and my dad was just listening and trying to say things, right, I went on for months, all these, all this time I'm going, I'm like, Lord, no, I do not have that. Even after I was a believer, even after I'm like, Jesus saved me from my sins, Lord, I want to follow you. I was like, oh, I do not love people that much. <laughs> right? I struggled with this like prayer. I never really like praying for other people earnestly. I learned that here at Princeton when I finally cared enough about someone who was in trouble and I didn't know what to do about it. So I went out there out of my dorm onto Hopefield by myself and prayed. It was a freshman. First time in my life, <clears throat> I prayed earnestly for someone, not myself. I prayed before for myself, like self-pity or desperation or desire that God would change me. I prayed for myself, some, not often, but some, with real earnestness before. But it wasn't until God changed me that I started, this is the point I want to make, that it wasn't until God changed me that I started learning what the gifts God had for me. Right. So not just the question of, like, what am I good at? But rather, what is God calling me to? What is he equipping me for? How is he changing me to have the spiritual, by his spirit working in my heart, so that I will have the spiritual gifts he wants to give me? Right? What is he calling me to? This is the beautiful thing about spiritual gifts. So often they're not, these aren't the things, prophecy, teaching, exhortation. These aren't the things you're born with. You're born again to you're born again to them by the work of the Spirit. Right? You don't start there. God takes you there. And this is one of the sweetest and most wonderful things about learning what am I get, what are my spiritual gifts, is seeing truthfully how they were just brought about by God supernaturally in your life. It gives you such hope. I didn't think I would ever be that kind of person. And yet here I find, by God's grace, I am becoming that kind of person with that kind of gift. Which isn't the same. I mean, we do all have all sorts of different gifts. We do have all sorts of different gifts, and we are blessed by that. 
we are called together as a body. I mean, I remember I, my one friend at Princeton's undergrad, he was so good at encouraging. She is to this day. It's like you're in you know, your reunions. She still just has this way of like directly encouraging you in ways that are like, <clears throat> this is the real key, like actually truthful. Like she's very positive, but like it's like she's striking home and saying things that are good and true, right? And I'm like, I, you know, for years, friends who that kind of gift of encouragement, I'm like, how do they... I still pray, Lord, help me to be more of an encourager. Help me to exhort others. I'm glad, though. I mean, there's so many times in life where you're like, you look at someone, and they're doing something amazing. God is doing something amazing through them. They're so gifted and so blessed. And you're looking at them like, oh, man, I could never do that. Like, thank you, Lord, that not everyone is like me. You ever prayed that prayer? Like, thank you, Lord, that not everyone is like me. How impoverished we would be in this world and in this church, in this body of Christ, if everyone was like David Kenny. Or like any of you individually. I mean, we could have a discussion about who would be our exemplar, who you want cloned. <laughs> no, don't have that discussion. We're called many, many parts individually. And we are given these gifts from God. And some are spectacular and some are lowly. And so let me go back to the gift of administration. You know, what do you call to? Again, no one prays for the gift of administration. You know, people pray for gifts. It's usually, they don't mean they're praying for this, but it's like the gift of uh, generosity. That's one of the gifts listed in Romans, the gift of giving. That means people have money to give the money, right? That's that gift. That's usually what people pray for. Lord, let me be so rich that I have the gift of giving such that I can liberally supply your, your, your church with funds. Um, but we don't pray for the gift of administration. We don't pray usually for gifts of service. We pray. I think, I think about it. Just, just this past week, Billy Graham passed away. Right? Y'all know who Billy Graham is, who he was? Big time preacher, the biggest preacher of 20th century America. Died at the age of 99. Bill Boyce came to play his name to Bill, uh, Billy Graham rally. Is that right, Bill? In part. In part. <laughs> and so Billy Graham, I remember once listening to a friend at church, and he was like, he had dreams. You know, one day, it's like, I will preach like Billy Graham to hundreds of thousands. My grandmother in Scotland, who wasn't a Christian, sang at a Billy Graham rally because she liked to sing. She, was, she had been gifted with the gift of singing, and she was happy for the opportunity to sing. Right? But it's like, it's like one day I'll be like Billy Graham, his friend said to me. Now, hundreds of thousands of people will come and sing to me. And then one day he realized, you know what? What I need is like to sh- share my faith with one person. And if that one person comes to faith, if they share it with one other person, two other people, and those people share with two other people. Right? How does the math work out? Those of you who are good at math. The exponential wins over the one guy who speaks to huge crowds. I mean, this is, I'm glad that we have the odd one guy who speaks to huge crowds. But what God's kingdom is actually built on that exponential leverage of individuals working together as a body. Right? All of us as parts of the whole. And we all have that need. If it's different, how do you bring your spiritual gifts to bear in the church? What we're called to do with these many gifts is different from what you'll do in the business world, in your professional life. We're often like, you know, in your professional life, there's this, it's a more limited focus. It's like, oh, we're not getting this job done. We're going to abolish this company or quit or fire this person or hire this person. In the church, there are these deeper, more profound bonds that tie us to one another. This, this is actually really crucial. I want to say this is a caution to you as Princetonians. It was, a recent, uh, not so long ago, an alum was saying to me, oh yeah, I've gone to my church, and I was like, I'm so frustrated with all these things in the church. 
And uh, so I was just so determined to fix things. So I started a church plant so that I, that I could fix things. And I was like, oh, man, I, 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 like, uh, I know exactly how you feel. And, oh, that's so dangerous. When we bring that to a business context, like I can disrupt this business sphere and drive my competitors out of business, right? That's a good goal. Do it by all means. Um, but in the church, right, we are called, like if we bring our Princeton attitude of I must be a leader and it must be as I think it ought to be, that's dangerous. We are many parts of a whole body. And so the level of commitment, patience, and perseverance we bring to working out our spiritual gifts as part of the body of Christ is different from what you more akin to what you do in your family. Your family, that sibling who frustrates you, you, you still bear with them, right? You still bear with them. This is the attitude you have to bring. So anyway, first, the spirit. Second, the many gifts. And third, still a more excellent way. So Paul ends 1 Corinthians 12 with this phrase, that I will show you a still more excellent way. And he's segueing here. So he's just been talking about all these spiritual gifts. He says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What does he segue? He segues into one of the most famous passages in Scripture, which is quoted at almost every wedding, and rightly so. And I'm going to read it. I haven't prepared a slide for it, but I'm going to read it. Love is patient. So this is the more excellent way. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. But now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So this famous passage on love, love is in many ways actually the hardest thing to preach on because it's so powerful as Jesus' teaching has been. So much as this permeated in our culture that love is one of the most hackneyed, cliched words to encounter. So, but let me unpack this in a more excellent way. Because when we think about gifts, we think about what our role is, what we're being called to, how we're called to serve, how we're called to contribute. How do we do that? How do we get there? And this is this key. Love endures. What, let me unpack this love. There's some key crucial elements to this. It does not envy or boast. And this is the depth of so much of our collective action as Christians, using our gifts to work together, is we envy and we boast. And this is, in Princeton, that's what I always think when I look at the activities fair. It's like, look at all this talent and all this leadership ability and potential spent on all these individual activities, quasi-individual activities. This, let me, let me give, you, give, you a, give you a hint. If you want to get a Princeton student to commit to something, you have to put them in charge of it. Because when I was a student at uh, Campus Crusade, it was Campus Crusade chapter uh, here at the time, and the one year they really managed to successfully got like all the freshmen in leadership positions by like week six. Amazing, right? Because Princeton students, like the one thing they don't abandon is the thing they're in charge of, right? The thing you're in charge of, that's what you take care of. That's where you go. And so, and the amazing, what's truly remarkable at Princeton is what if you can get all these Princetonians working together? I mean, we're terrible at that. I mean, we talk about leadership, but 
it's really a learned skill leadership. Because we're like, we start out typically like micromanagers. We don't trust anyone. We're surrounded by all these like brilliant geniuses who are probably better than you at what you're trying to do, but we don't trust them to do it. Right? We can't harness that talent together. How can we take all these individual people, all of us, you know, living in America, the land of individualism, chasing not God's glory, but our own glory, right? Viewing our gifts not as something received from the Lord, but rather as something I've earned and something I own. How do we take them and bind them together to work together for a common good as possible? That is a miracle to take a whole bunch of individuals and get them to work together for the common good. How is it, how, how do you make that happen? Let me say a little bit about Christ's love for us. So in brief, Christ, what, how do we know Christ's love for us? It's not a nebulous concept. It's not a Valentine's Day fluffy concept. Christ's love for us is shown in, at, at its peak in that he died for us while we were yet his enemies. He died for us. That cost claims our lives. We are brought into Christ. That claim on our lives compels us, it calls us to service to him. It calls us to service to him. It calls us to do it together to get over that envy and that pride, that boasting, that irritation we have with one another, that frustration that we have that drives us apart, that keeps us from growing in the spirit such that we are able to exhort, to teach, to serve one another. The love of Christ found in the cross, his death and resurrection for us, compels us. It binds us together. It calls us out of our individual isolation, of our selfishness. And it builds us together as the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, I pray that you would know that and believe that tonight. If you're not a follower of Christ, I ask you to consider that. We see, you see these studies all the time, like happiness, where people are becoming less happy, even as we've grown richer. But part of happiness, they do studies, and it's like you need to do things, have a sense that what you're doing has a higher purpose. And so part of the extra say, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for my, my Apple Watch to start, you know, has all these things to try to get me to live a happier life. It's got like reminders to uh, meditate, you know, built in. I'm waiting for the day it starts telling me to like, because they're really following the studies to tell me like, turn off all your electronics and go meet people. You know, <laughs> like one day it'll be like on Sunday morning, it'll be like, you're going to shut down all your electronics. Here's a list of nearby like religious groupings, go to one and meet people. You know, one day, they're really following the social science and they want us to be happy. That's what they'll start doing. But how do, we, how do we get there? What is that higher purpose? We get this exhortation, even from a secular perspective. So do things, find your higher purpose. Well, the thing is, we're designed not for just individualized, for individually chosen, self-reflective higher purposes. There is a higher purpose that is God's glory. We are called to it is a beautiful thing to see God's people using the gifts of his, that his spirit builds in them, develops in them, to bless one another and to bless the world. Let that be said of us. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, Lord God, and that it is working in our lives in concrete ways to change us, to conform us to the image of Christ. And Heavenly Father, part of that is giving us great gifts to use to bless one another. Help us, Heavenly Father, help us to be obedient to the, to the work of your Spirit, to be obedient to the command of your Scripture, to be faithful to the call that 
claim made on our lives by the blood of Christ on the cross, by that love shown in sending your Son to die for our sins. Heavenly Father, may we be that light in the darkness. May we sin, may we be quick to repent. Heavenly Father, and when we see right righteousness, may, may we, we be quick to embrace it, to praise it. When we see people who are hurting, may we we'd be quick to serve them, to bless them, to encourage those who are discouraged, <clears throat> to tend to those who are wounded, Heavenly Father, physically and spiritually, and emotionally. Heavenly Father, may we uh, proclaim such knowledge and have opportunity to have access to such learning here, and such as much learning as the world has to offer. May we be able to teach, to teach not merely knowledge, uh, not merely facts, but to teach the beautiful and powerful truths found in your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name.